I love it when whatever happens up here before I get up makes me look like an adult in the room. I'm just saying, right? That's a lot of fun, man. It's been great. Uh, part of our series is we are going to end up today on Naked Pillow Fights. And just the whole idea is that we want to recapture some fun. We want to recapture some excitement, some spontaneity. Man, we want people to think a little differently about marriage. We want to cast some imagery that may have been a little different than what you're used to thinking about um, when you think about marriage. And so we've had a lot of fun, as Joey was pointing out, all the different things that we've done. We also had the texting challenge. We had about 700 people that took the texting challenge. Yeah, a lot. how many people took it? Had, were on part of the texting challenge? Yeah. And so all you guys are uh, now have strong marriages. Just kidding. So like, think about this just a second. Like, what was your favorite? Don't say it out loud. What was your favorite texting challenge? Like, you had one. You loved it, right? You, you loved it. It may have been one that involved one of these. I don't know. But you loved it, right? Like, like I just got today. So I don't know if I'm crazy about that one. What about you guys? You already look at your challenge. But, but like, this is how they went down. Debbie and I did this. And one of the ones that we had um, back uh, a few weeks ago, one of the first ones we had, Debbie and I were actually traveling. And so we were on our way somewhere that morning, and we had kind of a late breakfast. And we sat down to breakfast, and she got the text a little bit late in the day. And so when she, by the time she got to the text, she looked at it, and she says, oh, I can't do that one today. I'll have to do it tomorrow. I'm like, well, well, what is it? She says, well, I'll tell you at the end of the day tomorrow. So then we went the whole next day, kind of got to the end of the day. I'm like, well, what was the challenge that you didn't do yesterday? She says, I wasn't supposed to correct you at all. <laughs> I'm like, does that say more about you or about me? I'm not sure. But man, we had a blast doing it. And some of them were super simple. Some of them were really easy, things that we may forget, things that may fall off the radar um, that we need to remember, especially the longer that you've been married. There's some things that you, you, know, you kind of need to get back to to reground yourself. And also there were some things that were a little harder and required a little more effort, maybe a lot more effort. But we just wanted to be able to create some intentionality around marriages and around even if you're thinking about getting married, if you're single and you maybe you want to get married, maybe you know somebody that's married, opportunities for you to help them. Now, now, in our culture, in our society, marriage is very individualistic because we live in an individualistic culture. Man, in our society, the individual is held up as of highest value. The individual is held up as supreme. And so, you know, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. It's about my joy, my satisfaction, my purpose, my fulfillment. That's the way we tend to operate. In other cultures and societies, Marriage was much more transactional. You had two families that would uh, be joined together because two, two of their kids got married, and maybe it was for political reasons, right? They would gain more territory. They'd gain more influence. Maybe it was for economic reasons. They would you know, gain more markets for their product. But in our culture, it's not that way. Our culture is very individualistic, and we think that we go into marriage, and all my needs are going to get met. I'm going to be super joyful. Um, man, I'm going to be satisfied. They complete me, as Jeremy McGuire would say. And pretty quickly after we get married, we realize this could be a problem. Because if you have a, a female, uh, a wife, a bride that goes into the marriage thinking she's supreme, and you have a male, a, a, a husband, a groom going into marriage thinking he's supreme, you don't get the supremes, you get war. That's what happens. And, and part of the problem is you can't get all your needs met because you are not going to marry a perfect person. Nobody is perfect. Turn to someone next to you and say, you're not perfect. Now turn to your spouse and say, you're not perfect. Now turn to your spouse and say, you're less perfect than I am. 
say, I'm not perfect, right? We understand this about people. We understand this about each other. We're not, we're not created to complete each other. We're not created to bring someone joy and satisfaction. And so what we need to do if we're going to have marriages that are long lasting is we need a bigger picture for marriage. We need a, a vision for marriage that can move us beyond the mundane, that can move us beyond the day-to-day, that can move us down the field so that our marriage can be long-lasting. We need a bigger vision and a bigger understanding of marriage. And so, and so as we look at the Bible today, as we look at God's plan for marriage, what we're going to see is that God works in marriage. God works in marriage. He works in your marriage to work through your marriage. So here's what this means. is God is working in your marriage. Two people, two imperfect people that come together who are selfless, who give themselves over to each other in order that he can work through your marriage. In other words, so that other people can know him and other people can see him and other, so that other people can understand who he is. This, is. this is the purpose of your marriage, right? Is that So in marriage, we see a picture of the gospel. In marriage, we see a picture of God and how much he loves us. We see a picture of what the gospel is like. Now, you may be single here today. You're like, hey, where does that leave me? Well, in marriage, we see this picture, this image of what the gospel is like, of what a relationship with God is like. In, in singleness, what we see is that, that we see is what's the sufficiency of the gospel. What we see is that Jesus is enough. What we see is that marriage is not this holy grail, what we go to and we're incomplete unless we get married. What we see is that Jesus is enough. He's the one that's to be worshiped. And so as we unpack that today, man, we just, what would it, if, if I had to ask you, what is the picture of your marriage? What's it telling people? What is the image of your marriage today? What would that look like? And so we're going to kind of paint a picture of what this looks like and how uh, the Bible unpacks this today. So let's grab our Bibles. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter five today. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter five. That's a, a book kind of towards the end of the Bible. It's in what's called the New Testament. Uh, happened after, it was written after Jesus was born. And these are some words that a guy named Paul wrote. Paul, very influential in the, in, in the Bible, man. Paul was the greatest missionary next to Jesus, of course, in the Bible. Paul started a lot of churches. And so Paul had started this church, and he's writing a letter back to them now after they've been going for a while. And what he wants to do is just paint a picture of marriage. And I'm going to start out. Uh, at the end of the passage that we're looking at, and then we're going to back up and look at um, some of the previous verses. But in verse 31, Paul says this. He says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So, so we know that he's looking back to the creation. We know he's looking back to Genesis, where Adam and Eve were created. And then he's given Adam and Eve to be in relationship in the context of marriage with each other. So Paul's looking back. We've looked at this before. And we know that this is God's original intention is God unveiled marriage. And when marriage came on the scene, we had this idea of a man and woman coming together to be one flesh. But then he goes on in verse 32. He says this, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it, the mystery, refers to Christ and the church. So what Paul is saying is this mystery. Like, what mystery exactly is he talking about? Because we know that there are some mysteries in marriage. Like, guys, you know there's some mysteries. Am I right? Like, like the longer you're married, you're like, the less you feel like you know in marriage. Like, there are some mysteries about the differences between men and women. Anybody notice that? Is it just me? Anybody notice that? Is it just me? Here's one. Here's one. Check this one out. I was reading this week. Do you know that the average male in his bathroom... He has seven items. 
Count them. One for each day of the week. Makes it easy. Seven items in your bathroom, guys. You know how many the average female has in her bathroom? 321. You know how many of those the husband can name? Seven. That's right. Seven items, man, because you think about it, man, guys, let's see, we have toothbrush, toothbrush, you know, we, we can go down the list, right? For ladies, it's like toner and cleanser and facial wash and conditioner and a hair dryer and brushes and combs and yada, yada, yada. Like, I didn't believe this, but my wife was out of town. I spent the weekend counting everything in her bathroom, and she's way above average, let me tell you. Man, we're just different, aren't we? Like, what about this one? Ladies, what's happening in that purse? What, what is up in the purse? Here, what, this is how it goes. Hey, hey, Debbie, I, can I have some chapstick? Hey, can I have some? I need some hand wash. You got some hand wash in there? Hey, De- I, I need a beach chair. You got <laughs> right? There, there's something going on in there, right? There's something going on in there. I, you know, I don't, I don't understand it many times. There's some mysteries that happen, man. And we relate differently. Man, our sex drives are different. There's just a lot of things that are different. But here's what Paul means when he says mystery. When we see mystery in the Bible, what he means is that there is something that's been hidden, something that has been kept from us completely and fully. And that at a certain point, we come to realize that when the time is right, all of a sudden the dots connect. And so what Paul is saying is that marriage, even though it's created in Genesis, what it's created for is not just, it's not just for one flesh mentality. It's, it is to reflect the love of God for people. That in marriage, we have the love of Christ for people, his church. That we see this picture of who God is and the story that he's writing in the world. Marriage shares a picture of God to the world. This is the overarching vision. This is the overarching picture that God wants to share with us by looking at a marriage. And so in the same way that when we look at Instagram or Facebook or Snapchat or any other social media, we look at pictures to see someone's what? To see their story. You know, I look at pictures on my kids' Uh, social media feed so I can know kind of what they've been up to. Like we talk and they tell me, but to see pictures is brings different, brings a different uh, context to it because a picture, as they say, is worth a thousand words and marriage tells the story of God to the world. This is what marriage does. This is why it was designed. It wasn't designed just so we could populate the earth, even though that's awesome. It wasn't designed just so we could have naked pillow fights, even though that's even more awesome. It was designed so that people would look at marriages and they could see God, how much he loves them. That is why it's designed. And so Paul, kind of, this is the phrase I want to start with. And I'm going to back up and just kind of run through how Paul gets there. And there's three ways that we're going to be able to lean into this. There are three ways that we should treat each other. There are three ways that we should lean into our marriages that will help others see a picture of God and how he loves us. Three specific ways. So uh, let's back up just a little bit to verse 21. This is what, this is what Paul, Paul is writing about how you're to treat each other. He's talking about all different kinds of people. This is how you treat each other. And he kind of sums it up in verse 21 when he says this, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So he says, hey, remember how, what Jesus taught you? That's how you should treat each other. And he uses this word for submission. Submission just means to place yourself under. 
It means to consider others better than yourself is one of the ways that Jesus says it. You're to honor people, other people, over yourself. You remember this one? The first will be last and the last will be first. Remember that verse? Man, Jesus, and this was countercultural. This is one of those most radical things that Jesus teaches people is that we would treat others better than we would before we think about others before we think about ourselves. Like there's one funny story that always makes me laugh when I read it. Now, he had recruited these 12 friends who were, man, they were a hodgepodge of people and they were rough around the edges, which I love that about the disciples. There were some fishermen, there were some businessmen, there were some tax collectors. And so there's this one time Jesus is on the way, he's on the way to his execution and he's just a few days before and he's he's trying to share with them and prepare them for this critical time in their lives. He's going to be gone. And so they're walking down the road. They start having an argument and their argument went like this. I'm better than you are. You know, they start, they start having this argument about, I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. No, you're the, I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. No, I have more experience. No, no, I've got more. I, I'm smarter than you are. Well, I'm younger. Well, I'm better looking. Well, I'll beat you at arm wrestling. You're like, I don't know. But they're arguing about who's the greatest. Jesus was done. He was fed up. And this is what he said. And because he said it in a language called Aramaic, there's a translation uh, gap there. But I'm going to do my best to give you the way Jesus would have said it. Jesus would have done this. He said, come here, fellas. We need to talk. I want for you to look right at me. Listen with your eyes. Shut your yap. (laughs) Shut your pie hole. Haven't you heard anything I've taught you? Anything that I've done? Haven't you seen me? I didn't come to you as one who, I didn't come to you as one to be served. I came to serve you. And this picture of marriage that we see, this picture of mutual submission, of placing ourselves under, it's a picture of selflessness. This is the image we have. And when we approach marriage like that, man, a lot of little things fade away, don't they? Man, the color of the carpet and who's taking the kids and what are we having for lunch, that stuff begins to be a lot less important. So Paul says, this is the banner. And and then he wants to make it even more practical, more important. And so he begins to delve into what it means in the context of marriage. Verse 22 it says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and his himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, now as we look at this, he starts out with wives, but then he gets into husbands in just a second. And he's just trying to paint this picture of mutual submission. And here's the phrase that we need to use for that. You before me. In the context of marriage, we need to always say you before me. Now, when we see this in the Bible, sometimes historically, man, it brings a little tension, doesn't it? It brings a little kind of like, wait, wait, just a minute. Now, in Paul's culture, this would have been a radical statement because of the value of women in our culture. We tend to receive it differently than his culture would because we already know that women are of equal value as men. Can I get an amen? Men are of equal value as women. That was weak. (laughs) But but just to say, when it comes to worth and value and dignity, women and men, we are completely equal. And I know we're working that out a lot in our culture right now and in our country, but intrinsically, we know this to be the case. So we, we, we receive it as different than Paul's audience would have. Paul's audience, when they received that, women were treated as property. 
Obviously, they had no voting rights. If they came as a witness at a trial, their words, their testimony wasn't even considered. A a husband could walk in and divorce his wife for any reason. He could walk in and say, burn dinner, out. Talk too loud during the game, out. Man, there was just this other uh, belief system that, that man's a little counter to us. But so when Paul says, wives to your own husbands, man, he is really casting a vision that's different. You before me is what Paul is saying. And he unpacks that just a little bit. Now, Jesus was the one who introduced this. This is why it's a picture of the gospel, is that Jesus, even though he is the first and the last, he is the beginning and the end, as we read. He is the king. Man, he humbled himself to come and be with us. He put our needs before his own comfort. And he loved us so much that he came and showed us that if you want to be great in this world, you you work hard to be last, that you serve. When you walk into a party, don't take a seat at the head. Man, take a seat somewhere else and let someone invite you up. Man, he modeled this for us. And and this is not something that can be commanded in the context of marriage. I dare you to walk into your house and say, hey, you should should submit to me today. I dare you to do that. Try it. I have. It didn't work so well. (laughs) Now think about your spouse. They have so much value. Like I think about if I were to go into my house and say, Debbie, you know what? You're supposed to submit to me. Like she, she got her college degree before I did. She had a real job before I did. You know, she... She had four children. She would beat me up, man. She's tough. Like, we can't, we don't command this, but when we walk into the house, this is my mindset. Hey, you before me. You before me. I'm not worried about you meeting my needs. I'm worried about me meeting your needs. And when people see that, they see the picture of God's relationship with them and how he has pursued them. So first of all, you before me. Now, second thing we see is, let's go down in verse 25. Paul says this, husbands... Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now remember, in this culture, men were treated as supreme. Men were treated as of greater value. Men didn't have to, weren't required to morally, ethically, or for any reason treat their wives with any semblance of respect. They didn't have to. So Paul is about to blow their mind. He gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, meaning set her apart. So he's saying that Jesus came to set the church apart, to do something special for them. This is what husbands should do for their wives and likewise wives for their husbands. Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he may present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands, husbands, now what Paul's doing right here, he said some theological things that the husbands may not have understood. He's gonna make it really, really practical. Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. You ever been to the gym and you see the guy flexing in the mirror? You love your own body, don't you? Like we, we love our bodies. We take care of our bodies. Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it, cherishes it, just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. So he says, love your spouse as yourself. 
And so the second phrase, first one is you before me. The next one is you as me. You as me. Think about how you love your own body. Physically, you take care of your own body. Man, you do a lot of stuff for your body. Am I right? Like how many of you guys got up and had some breakfast this morning? Three of you. Y'all are starving. How many? I hope this one's better. How many of you took a bath when you got up this morning? Right? We take care of ourselves. How many of you ladies used 306 of those things in your bathroom this morning? Cleansers, some other stuff. Man, we take care of our bodies. Listen, we clean it, we wash it, man, we wash our hair, we get ready, we eat, we drink, we sleep. We take care of our bodies, man. Nobody wakes up the morning and think, I hope that I have some physical pain today. Like nobody does that. In fact, when I go to the doctor, you know, they always ask you that question. Are you allergic to anything? I'm like, yes. I am allergic to pain. Don't bring pain in this room. Because I'm not volunteering for pain. I don't want pain. If it's going to be painful, put me to sleep. I don't want pain. And we, we take care of our bodies. It's logical. It's common sense. So this is what Paul is saying. Hey, treat your, treat your spouse just like you treat yourself. He uses the word cherish and nourish. Cherish and nourish. And cherish just means to set apart as something treasured. Like not somebody who can perform a task, not somebody who can get something done, but it's someone who is a treasure. And when we have something that we treasure, we treat it differently. You may have a special place for it. Man, you may have, you know, special protection for it. You treat it differently. Like, we all have those things. And there's some things that, that I would treasure that you wouldn't and vice versa. Like, I'm a gifts person. So when someone gives me a gift, man, I hang on to it. So I, there'll be, for instance, I've got a, some hats in my closet that my daughter gave me. And Debbie will be like, you don't wear that. Can I throw it away? I'm like, no, ma'am. She gave that to me back January the 1st, 2004 at 11.59 p.m. I remember. It's treasured. It's valuable to me. I treat it differently. I still have my baby blanket from when I was three years old. It survived many purgings at our house. Right? And it doesn't mean anything to anybody, but it means something to me. And when we know somebody, when it has value to us, we treat it differently. He's saying cherish. Like, what would it look like if we cherished our spouse, set them apart? Think about how Jesus cherished us. So much so that he came for us. So much so that says we are a treasured possession. That's who we are. That that God loves us so much. He didn't begrudgingly come to rescue us. He didn't didn't look at us and say, well, somebody's got to do it. I have to do it out of obligation. And he treasures us us. He treasures you. And the way that we treasure our spouse, the way that we treat our spouse, and other people will look at that and say, man, is that, is that what God's like? And is God like that? Like when you treasure someone, you, you, you're, you're, you thank them just for small things. You just wake up with a heart of gratitude. Hey, thank you for doing that for me. Thank you for being there for me. Thank you for taking care of that for me. And you don't, you don't complain about them to other people. One of the ways you can cherish your spouse is not to complain about them to other people. Ooh, that hurts a little bit, doesn't it? Mm. Another way is don't compare them. Like, don't compare them to somebody else's spouse or some movie star or somebody else. This is how we cherish people. Man, and when we set them apart as special, that's going to gain some notice. And that's going to gain someone to look at that and say, man, why do you do that? Because this is a picture of how much God loves us and sets us apart. You as me. And then Paul, as he finishes out with the verses that I started with, in verse 31, 
He says this, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. One flesh. I mean, man, there's just commitment. There's just commitment that happens in the context of marriage. And this last one is you and me. You and me. You before me, you as me, now you and me. That there's this commitment that happens. Now, in, in, in life, there's two kind of relationships. There's something called a consumer relationship. We all have those. As long as you have a product that I want at a price that I can afford, I'm going to buy from you. And, and we, we do this. It's pretty normal and pretty healthy. You'll go to lunch today and you'll buy something from someone. Maybe you'll go to the store this week and buy something. And so we, we understand this. And, and then when the price is better somewhere else or the product gets better, I'm going to move on. I'm going to go to a different vendor, a different restaurant, a different store, somebody different. I'm going to go somewhere different. I'm going to move on. It's a, it's a consumer relationship, and we all have these. Now, imagine if you went to a wedding, and they took consumer-based vows. So, you know, you get all dressed up, guys. You had to put your suit on. You hate doing that, don't you? But once a year, you put your suit on, you go to this wedding, and uh, you, you, you want to know if you could get out of it, but you couldn't. So you went, and then to top it all off, to make the experience worse, you had to buy a gift and take it. And so you went, got a crock pot, and <laughs> y'all, you took it to the wedding. And you sit down, and you're just sitting there, and all of a sudden they start exchanging vows. And they're consumer-based vows. If, if you do this, the husband says, then I'll do this. And the wife returns, if you do this, then I'll do this. So he, she says to him, hey, if you, I'll marry you if you give me a new car every two years, right? New car, and she lays out, it's got to be a new car. It's got to be over $45,000. It's got to have heated seats, and I need a heated steering wheel, right? I mean, very specific. And then he says, I will give you that new car if on every anniversary you can fit in your wedding dress. Is that a little too real for you right there? (laughs) Right, there's this consumer I will do it if you do that. Like, that's one kind of relationship. We know that doesn't work in marriage. We that doesn't work in marriage. Now, the other kind of relationship is commitment. The other kind of vows that we take, the kind that we all took, those of us who got married, is commitment vows. This is what I vow to do. I'm in. It doesn't depend on you. It depends on me. I'm giving you my commitment. I'm going to be there. I'm going to do these things for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, till death do us part. Like, I'm in. And a commitment relationship is different. It's not dependent on the other person. It's dependent on me. I'm the one who chooses to be in that. Like once I'm in, guess what? I'm in. It's a little bit like the, uh, the breakfast fable. You know, when you have a ham and egg breakfast, what's the difference between the chicken and the pig? The chicken's involved. The pig is committed. Get that? Like you're committed. I had this happen to me a little different way this last week. It was kind of funny. So one of the things that our church does, one of the things that we're really good at, is that we, we'll be out in the community and we'll, we'll buy stuff for people anonymously. So I will get letters regularly from people, sometimes even out of town, but for, from uh, in our community, and they'll say, oh, someone from your church, they paid for my meal at this restaurant. I don't know who it was, how grateful they were. Or we'll maybe pay for someone behind us at Starbucks. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we just, we kind of have a culture that does that. So a couple of weeks ago, I was, uh, I was getting my hair cut, and, it's, and uh, I know you wonder how I look so fresh. I was getting my hair cut, 
And I go to the same place every time, right? Same guys have been cutting my hair for years. They all know me from the receptionist all the way back. Every chair knows me. I come in. It's a little bit like Cheers. Remember the show Cheers? Norm. And I'm like, no, my name's not Norm. It's Steven. But anyway, I go in. And so I get my hair cut. And as I'm getting my hair cut, I notice that there's a, a young mom there who's got some kids. And she's getting their hair cut and all that. And I don't think anything about it. So once I get my hair cut, I go to pay, and so I'm waiting in line, and she's in front of me. And I notice she's having some trouble. And so she's got her kids there, and she's kind of rifling through the mom bag, looking for a beach chair probably, but she's rifling through the mom bag. And, she, and I hear her say, I just got back from vacation. I don't have my money. And so I just look at the receptionist. I'm like, I got it. I'll pay for it. And she says, you can pay for it. I'm like, yeah. She, she said, that'll be $15. I'm like, did you say $15? She said, no, I said, $50. I said, never mind, I'm out. <laughs> In that moment, they know me. Man, my reputation is on the line. I mean, I'm in at that point. It didn't matter what she said. I'm in. So I'm like, I got it. So I, 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 give, her a, you know, I give her the money um, for that. I think about how am I going to explain this to my wife because we're going through financial peace. Like, and so... And so I give her the money, and she says, do you want to leave a tip? I'm like, no, she can bring that back later. I ain't leaving no tip. <laughs> Guy behind me said, as, we, the, as I tell, as the mom finds out I'm paying for it, she's like, no, don't do that. And I thought to myself, man, if it were my wife or my daughter, I'd want somebody to help her out, right? And so the guy behind me was like, man, chivalry's not dead. I'm like, for who, Right? And maybe you were there, but and you would have done it, whoever it was behind me, they'd have done it if they were there first. But listen, I was in in that moment. Like I was, my reputation was on the line. They all knew me, right? I'd said I was going to pay. And so the amount really didn't matter. That, that's the kind of commitment we have from Jesus, that no matter what, he's there. Like that no matter what we do, no matter how far we run, no matter the sins that we commit, he came and he's in. And even though people ridiculed him, even though he was executed, even though they spat on him and cursed him, man, he still died for us. Man, that's an unbelievable, unworldly level of commitment that Jesus gave us. And the type of commitment we have for our spouse is the same commitment that Jesus had for us, that we lay down our life for them and that we would go all in for them. Now, I know that there's some circumstances you could start saying, well, what if this happens? And what if there's abuse? And what if there's these difficult situations? Man, those are not the norm that I'm speaking of. Those are exceptions. Those, those that you're speaking of, man, they need to be dealt with. But what I'm talking about is, man, on a normal everyday basis, man, we need to realize this is not about an indiv our individual happiness. It's about the reputation of God. That as people look at us and look at how we treat each other, they will know something different. What image, what picture is your marriage sharing with the world? What picture is there? And God works in your marriage so that he can work through your marriage. Like for your children, what image does your marriage portray to them about God? Two people who love each other, care for each other, put each other first. Man, two people who are committed to each other, who treat each other better than they treat their own bodies. Like, is that the picture they get? What about, what about your friends? 
And you know all those people that maybe you've been in sporting events with, if you're a parent, you spent months and months, hours among hours with them watching games and watching practice and traveling. Like, as they look at your marriage, like what, what image, what picture do they get of who God is based on how you treat each other, how you relate to each other, how you cherish each other? And what about people at work or in your neighborhood? And as they look at how you treat each other, how you're committed, how you're, how you're there for each other, the priority you put on your relationship. Man, like, like, does it give us an image of God? Man, if we're going to have marriages that are life-giving, that are long-lasting, man, we have to have, to have this image. Man, we have to have a bigger vision, a bigger picture of, of a marriage that's selfless, not selfish. You before me. You as me. You and me. And it's easy, and the, the longer you're married, to kind of let it fall off um, our attention and intentionality. I mean, it's easy for us. It's easy for us just to kind of get away from the basics. And today, man, let's recapture the bigger vision that this is not about, man, just my next wedding anniversary. It's about eternity, and it's about people knowing how much God loves them. Let's pray together. So as we just, in the next few minutes, just have an opportunity just to be still and quiet. Man, there, there are some of us here, some of you here that, man, you've looked to your spouse kind of to be your savior, and spouses make terrible saviors. And the reason why you can't seem to treat them better, the reason why you can't seem to be able to get past current conflicts is because you just don't have the ability and that, that, that you're trying under your own power, your own strength, selfishly to do it. Man, and Jesus says, I laid down my life to, so that you could do this. He laid down his life so we could be changed, so we could be new people. And maybe your step today is just a step towards Jesus. Man, it's a step to be able to, to understand more about the gospel, that you would step towards him to ask him to forgive you of your sin, to grant you a new heart and a new life. And the way the Bible says to do that is we just do that through prayer. Man, just, with our, just in our own heart, we just say, God, I'm tired of doing it on my own. I trust that Jesus came to bring me life. I ask him to forgive me of my sins and my selfishness and give me a new heart. Man, the Bible says when we do that, we're changed. Man, that God does something in our heart to give us a new heart, new motivations, new reasons to live, a new way of seeing the world. You know, maybe for you and your marriage today is that you need to move past just trying to meet each other's needs and having those conversations to how can you impact and influence people around you from your children to your friends, man, to coworkers, to neighbors, to extended family, and that your marriage may be the only picture of the gospel that they see. And this is an opportunity for you to kind of recapture that. And just your commitment today is God, help us to see the way things you see and help our marriage to reflect a picture of your love for us. Help our marriage to reflect a picture of your love for us. God, we're grateful that you have given us just an opportunity um, to reflect you to the world. God, for singles here who may feel like they're missing out, God, who may feel like there's, they get less of you, God, they get more of you, God, that they would understand how much they're valued and cherished and that you're enough. And God, that our marriages, man, in this church and in this community, as people see them, man, they'd be different. Not because we got all the rules right, man, not because we just volunteer at church, 
but because, God, you're alive and active in our, in our, in our marriages and our relationships. And that people see you and that they're transformed. I mean, there's something contagious about what they see. And God, just help us to be people that wake up with that mindset every day. You before me. You as me. You and me. And we just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.